Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle, hot off the press podcast, where we bring you the latest higher ed news and stories twice monthly. I'm Joe Trino, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chase Good. We are with Barry Dunn's Higher Education Management and IT Consulting Team. Chase, how are you today? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. Getting ready for the holidays. We had uh, our podcast last. We did something new. We shook things up a bit and each shared a story for discussion. So I think we'll continue with that theme. That that seemed to be kind of fun. Um, so we'll we'll start with you. And what story do you have to share with us this week? Yeah, Joe. So the first uh, kind of topic that I wanted to talk about, it's really a combination of stories, but they're all centered around NIL in higher education. And so for those that aren't aware, NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. And what it is, it's a program that's been established by the NCAA for student-athletes in 2021, and it allows athletes to be paid through different sorts of methods, whether that's through endorsements, cameos and appearances, autographs, merchandise, things like that, based on their name, their image, and their likeness. So previously, all athletes were considered to be amateurs if they were in college, and so they were not able to receive any sort of compensation for, you know, their performance or, or their name, image, or likeness. And, you know, of course, that led quite a few athletes to get paid under the table. And if they were caught, then that ultimately would lead to them, you know, being expelled from the university. However, with NIL now in place, that allows athletes to be paid um, through these various mechanisms based on their performance and how, you know, how they're currently, you know, doing in their in their respective sports. So, this is not just for football players or baseball players, basketball. This applies to all NCAA athletes. And, you know, as it's been implemented, there have been a lot of changes that have happened over the course of the past year and a half. Um, so really quick, just a, a high level, you know, overview of kind of where some of these athletes, how much money they're making and, and what to expect. So the top five athletes uh, are currently all quarterbacks except for one. Um, so number one is Bryce Young from the University of Alabama with a current valuation of $3.2 million. And he's getting paid $26,000 per sponsored social media post. Uh, number two is CJ Stroud, who's the Ohio State quarterback. Again, a $2.5 million valuation, about $17,000 per so- social media post. Uh, Caleb Williams was number three. He's the quarterback from USC. Uh, Jackson Smith uh, Nijigba, uh, who's a wide receiver from Ohio State. He's the only non-quarterback in the top five. And then the final one is Bijan Robinson from uh, University of Texas. Again, you know, even at number five, he's still valued at $1.7 million and about 17000 per sponsored social media post. So quite a lot of money that these athletes are getting through various NIL deals. And But it's important that even though you have some of the highest athletes coming from, you know, these four schools, that's not necessarily the same, or it's not those schools that are the, that have the largest NIL reserve fund. So in terms of the schools with the largest, um, the largest amount of NIL money available, got Texas A&M at number one, where the average athlete will make $85,000 a year in NIL endorsements, followed by Michigan, Oklahoma, Georgia and University of Alabama coming in at number five at about $50,000 per athlete. So a really big question that people have been asking is, okay, so where is all this money coming from? 
And, you know, there is a fair portion of it that's coming through, you know, sponsored endorsements from specific companies and things like that. But an even larger portion is coming from alumni and what, what's known as collectives. So there was a recent report from OutKick that said, you know, the it kind of dove into the funding and how that can be used both positively and negatively to recruit student athletes to the university. So the fact is there are a lot of really high value high school prospects that are really just going to go to whatever school can pay them the most. And so with that in mind, there are a lot of concerns about it. So the schools themselves cannot be directly involved in the NIL process or funding. You know, the University of Alabama can't say to a student athlete, we're going to pay you $5 million to come play here next year. However, you do have collectives that can go through various different means to ensure that these athletes are paid if they were to come to the university. So a collective is a group of sponsors or donors that pool together funds, typically cash donations that are not taxed and they're not tax deductible. And that goes into a reserve fund that's then paid out to the athletes um, accordingly. Um, so again, you know, there's there's a lot of concern about NIL, especially with some of the dollar values that are kind of being thrown out there. And so a response to this is kind of where is all of this headed? People are really expecting, you know, something to happen with NIL because the way that it's currently working, you know, you're you're really kind of playing with fire. So really interesting because back in September, the Justice Department uh, or uh, a senator, the Justice Department reported that a senator from Mississippi has reenacted a piece of legislation um, called the Collegiate Athlete Compensation Rights Act. And basically, it's still preserving NIL. It's still keeping the concept intact. It's, it's still allowing college athletes to be paid. However, it's putting a lot stricter regulations on those um, collectives so that the funds are managed appropriately, that it's taxed correctly, and it also addresses some of the more you know nitty-gritty questions of, okay, say you're a student athlete and your uniform is Nike. You, your school is sponsored by Nike. But if you sign a NIL deal with Under Armour, how is that going to work out? This is what that, the, that bill is hoping to address. So it's gaining... Um, support from both sides in Congress. It's still kind of going through the legislative process, but both Democrats and Republicans see the value in having, you know, this legislation in place. And regardless of what happens with NIL moving forward, there needs to be some sort of federal, federal regulations because otherwise you'll see the system, you know, continue to be abused or, or athletes put at risk in terms of their relationships with the collectives as well as the university. So I know that was a lot, but I am interested <laughs> in hearing your perspective. Wow. Because, yeah. There's a lot to know. unpack there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's so fascinating. It really is. Um, I'm just thinking back to why, where did this all come from? Why was it, why was it something that had to be put in place, the NIL? And I, I don't have the, the background on that, but um, I, I think the, regu- the, the regulation or the legislation to really regulate it a little bit more just to put, put some standards around it or some rules about 
how it can be done just to uh, to reduce the chances of abuse, I think are a good thing. But even before that, I I don't know if I'm a fan of it, to be honest with you. I think the whole point of going to college and playing sports is to remain as an amateur and to play for a pride of your your institution. Um, and so paying student uh, students to play collegiate sports uh, just doesn't feel right to me. I know others would argue about that, um, but that's kind of how I feel about it. I um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think there are certain sports that will have uh, be able to you know pay athletes using the NIL um, a little bit more than others. I mean, obviously football is huge uh, for a lot of institutions. Um, the collective thing is kind of interesting as well. So. I don't know. Ah, oh, man, that's a big can of worms right there. And what about, um, you know, athletes that don't get drafted or, I mean, obviously the, the athletes that are in the top five are likely NFL, you know, the, the example that you shared with the, the football players, I think are probably going to be playing professionally at some point. But, um, what, what about those athletes that are not, you know, not able to get the endorsement deals? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? You're you you played college sports, right? So, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think first off, I, I am for the NF or the NIL. You know, I think it's a, a really good idea, especially when you look at just the sheer amount of money that these college football programs, especially in your Power Five conferences, what they're bringing in just on a single sport on a yearly basis. So, for example, the University of Alabama. Last year, they generated $33 million in revenue just from football. So mm. it makes sense that some of that money is going to pay some of their athletes. However, I am really glad that you brought up the point about the athletes that might not be getting NIL deals because what's really been, what, what's been on my mind as thinking back to when I played sports in school was if you have a player who, you know, take Bryce Young, for example, he's the QB, he's the most valuable player on the team, some might say, and he's bringing in the, the highest paycheck on the team. But then you have other players, for example, his offensive linemen, who are out there, they're, they're going to the same practices, they're, you know, still really good athletes, and they have a, a good shot at playing in the NFL, but they're making a fraction, uh, a slim, slim fraction of what he's making. And so, what I'm thinking is, how does that affect the the camaraderie, the brotherhood on the yeah, team? Yeah, the dynamics of exactly. the relationships. You know, it, some might be looking at it and saying, you know, if I'm not going to get paid this amount, then I'm not going to try as hard. And so what's the what's the point of, you know, paying your quarterback all this money if he gets hurt? And I, I could see, you know, the issues with the collectives and, and the ability to tax these you know, the, the money that these athletes are receiving, you know, that's something that can be handled with legislation. But the team dynamics is a whole nother issue because how are you going to adequately coach a player who's making several million dollars a year in the same way that you're coaching somebody who's not? Yeah, and, and probably making more than some of the coaches on the team, right? Quite, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the NIL, um, especially looking at you know the next fall sports season, because 
I think some things are going to change, and especially now with the the transfer portal uh, opening up and all of the traffic that that's getting, it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a great. I think that's a great story. I appreciate you bringing that up, and um, let's keep an eye on on NIL as as the year progresses. It'll be interesting to see what happens, what plays out. Um, I mean, there's so many facets to that story. Um, you know, the impact to students, uh, student athletes, to the team uh, camaraderie that you mentioned, the teamwork, motivation might be another one. What does that do to that? Um, and, you know, do you start doing the same thing in high school? Um, I don't know. So, yeah, it, it certainly is an interesting topic. That's for sure. Um, so thank you. Uh, we'll move on to my story. So um, I'm bringing a, a a story that was a hot topic this week. Um, there was uh, a story in NBC News that I picked up on, um, and it was about uh, a chat GPT app, which was released a couple weeks ago, I think the end of November, and it went viral, and it has the potential to, to have implications in higher ed. Um, and just for our listeners that don't know what ChatGPT is, according to Wikipedia, it's it's a prototype artificial intelligence chatbot developed by OpenAI. And the chatbot is a large language model fine-tuned with both supervised and reinforced learning techniques. It's uh, garnered attention for its detailed responses and articulate answers, although its factual accuracy has been criticized. So... As most people likely know what a chatbot is, you ask it a question uh, and it provides a response. And so the reason I share this story today is that um, the NBC News uh, story that was posted about ChatGPT was asking the question if this could inspire students to cheat, uh, rendering current tools obsolete. So as most of us know, um, you know, papers that you have to submit usually get scanned through a tool to see if there's um, anything that's been copied from previous uh, papers or anything that's published out there. And um, the idea is that this chat uh, GPT could potentially write a, write a paper for a student using intelligence built into this AI and not be detected. And so some professors feel um, that this chatbot tool could be used to enhance education um, there are others that feel that um, there's plenty of opportunity for collaboration between AI and educators. And so experts are not aware of any tools that can detect uh, papers being written using AI, but predict someone will capitalize on that technology to do so. It's still in the early stages, but I'm sure there will be more uh, coming in the uh, coming year. Um, so I thought this was an inter interesting story, and I wanted to see what your thoughts are on it. Well, yeah, I do think that is a really different way to think about chat GPT. Speaking candidly, I have uh, played around with it a little bit. And, you know, my my experience has been relatively positive. I cannot completely understand the uh, criticisms about its accuracy, because, of course, with every kind of AI driven tool, there's always going to be the potential for misinformation. Um, when When thinking about it in terms of cheating and, and whether a student would use it to actually complete an assignment or write a paper. I, I definitely understand the concern. Um, 
but I think moreover, uh, it's kind of the same old, same old of if a student is trying to cheat, they're going to find a way to cheat, whether that's asking a friend to write a paper, whether that's finding something online or, or you know, other other various means. But, you know, an AI tool that they can put in a prompt and, you know, have it spit out an essay, you know, that's that's definitely something you'd want to keep an eye on. Um, I would be curious to see what are the more positive aspects of that? You know, could the tool, could chat GPT be used as a reference, potentially? Could it be cited as a source? And, you know, how could you ensure that the information that it's feeding you is 100% accurate and it is factual? So I definitely think that there is going to be systems or tools, methods in place to identify whether or not something was written by an AI tool or AI chatbot. If you're, if you can't tell, you know, just by reading it, you know, if you, if it, if it jumps out as, you know, oh, that's not how, you know, a typical human might write something, um, you know, that would be one way. But then also kind of looking at the, the nuances behind each of those different AI tools, I think it'll be, you know, challenging, but it is, if it, if it does become a concern, it'll have to be addressed. But I, I don't know if that would be the, the go-to reaction from a student is, oh, I'm going to use a chat bot to write an essay. Yeah, that's interesting. Good, good thoughts there. Yeah, I think it's too early to tell right now. I think there, there are more positives um, with AI for education than negatives. You know, I kind of think back to the calculator. When the calculator first came out, you know, there was probably a lot of criticism. Oh, now it's going to take away our ability to learn math. We don't need to learn math and students are going to cheat, you know, using a calculator. And, you know, that wasn't true. So, I mean, um, I think it'll enhance our ability to, to, to learn. Um, I think of Star Trek, you know, when they talk to the computer and they ask it questions, you know, maybe, maybe I, I think that's where we're headed. I mean, we have Alexa and Siri and, you know, we'll ask it very basic questions and it'll provide information. And I think this will take it to the next level. Um, and certainly that can be incorporated into uh, teaching and learning in the classroom. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I think um, I think education is is changing. It's going to it's going to, you know, I think start shifting over the next three to five years. We're going to see just a whole new wave of of um, methodologies and pedagogies. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how AI is incorporated into that. I, I think VR was something that was uh, kind of introduced maybe a couple years ago in, in education. They're using that now for a lot of um, teaching and learning. Um, and AI, I think, is just another another tool. Um, and I think, you know, worrying too much about the paper writing, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that's really that important, to be honest with you. I know that the writing piece is is an important learning um, in in education, but um, I think a lot of faculty are smart and they know their students. And if they see kind of a nuance or a change in their writing uh, behaviors, they'll uh, you know kind of sends a a red flag, if you will. Um, so I'm not too worried about that, but I, I certainly think there's more benefit to AI in the future. Agreed. And then, you know, in the same mindset of, oh, how would you, how would you think about grading something like this? If you were, if you were to use AI or an AI chatbot to help you write an essay, 
would you need to cite that in the same way that you could potentially mm-hmm. cite like a spell check or a grammarly yeah. or a perfected? I mean, those are not not necessarily the same, but it's the same concept. It's it's a it's a tool that's helping you perfect your skills. And so it's one thing to plagiarize, but it's another thing to use it to make your learn work better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, this was really good. Two great stories again. I I think we want to keep an eye on these these two uh these two stories going forward. I think there'll be more we'll see. So, uh good good uh, good topics for us today, Chase. I'm looking forward to our next episode in a couple of weeks. Actually, we'll we'll likely record the next one in the new year. Thanks for listening to the latest news in higher ed. For our listeners, if you wish to read more about these items, please refer to our show notes for links to these stories. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back in two weeks for more higher ed news and stories. Until then, stay well. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year.